0: The yeshiva.net.
1: Thank you so much. I appreciate your kind words. If I could just ask of you to put your cell phones on vibrate or on off. I don't want to ask you to shut them because I know you may be expecting a call from Prime Minister Netanyahu or President Trump or maybe now the leader of North Korea who wants to discuss with you his future plans. But at least on vibrate. Thank you. Hinei matov u'manayim shevet achim gam yachad. How beautiful, how good, how pleasant to be with so many achim, so many brothers and sisters, as King David says. And if you listen to the words, Hinei matov u'manayim, how good and how pleasant. You know, in life, things that are good are usually not pleasant. And things that are pleasant are usually not good. For example, eating spinach is good. Is it naim? Is it sweet? Absolutely not. Look at the menu tonight. Eating barley kernels, soybeans, tofu, kale, juicing wheatgrass is very good for you. But it's not sweet. Kishke, kugel, knishes, sweet and sour chicken, pasta, rice, Shavuos is coming, lasagna, cheesecake. These are pleasant. They're sweet, but they're not good. <laughs> right? Marriage, is it toiv or is it nayim? Before or after? There was a professor, there was a professor once asked his students, he was an English teacher, and he said, students, what's the difference in English between an engagement and a battle? And one of the students says, one is before the wedding, one is after the wedding. (laughs) They once asked a woman, how was marriage? She said, before I was married, I was incomplete. Now I'm married and I'm finished. (laughs) You know, there was once a woman, she was married already 19 years. And one night she turns to her husband. She says, you never ever tell me what you think of me. Tell me really, what do you think of me? How do you feel about me? And he looks her in the eyes. And he says, A, B, C, D, E, F, G, H, I, J, K. Wow. Wow. But what does it stand for? Is A amazing? B brilliant and beautiful. C charming, colorful, courageous, creative. D delightful. E Extraordinary F Fantastic and Fabulous Getting better and better. G Great Gorgeous Geschmack <laughs> H Honorable and Hilarious Wow, 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 wow. And what's IJK? I'm just kidding. (laughs) Now, Now he has been missing since last Wednesday. There's a search warrant for him all over New York. So if you find a guy and he's saying, I, <laughs> IJK, you'll know who he is. In Silicon Valley, they wanted to know if Kabbalistically, computers were masculine or feminine. Because you know, in Kabbalah, everything is either masculine or feminine or a combination. So they asked me, I said, I'll tell you, on one hand, I think for sure, computers are masculine because they retain enormous amounts of data, yet they remain clueless. (laughs) Explain it to your husbands, they're not... (laughs)
0: They're
1: like (laughs) stone-faced. Oh, is this going to be a male-bashing evening? I knew I shouldn't have come. I only came because she said, you have to come, you have to come, you have to come. First of all, they say he's good, and it's also about marriage, and you really need help in your marriage. I'm never going where my wife wants to. Should go, see what that's going to do for your marriage. So computers are male. On the other hand, I said, I think computers are for sure feminine. And I'll tell you why. Nobody besides their creator ever understands what's going on inside a computer. And when one commu- computer is communicating with another computer, hot sinking, you stay out. It's absolute code language. Don't even think you can understand. On the other hand, I said, I think computers are masculine. You pu- buy this beautiful, perfect model for a cheap price. And you're all excited. And you come home and you're overjoyed and then you realize, if you would have only waited six months, could have gotten much better for much cheaper. Then I said, I think computers are feminine. You buy this gorgeous model, A, B, C, D, E, F, G, H. Gorgeous, fabulous, stunning computer and a pretty good price. And you come home and you're so excited, Mama Shemetzia, and then you realize within a few weeks, you're paying 25 times the amount for accessories. (laughs) So they wanted to know what's the verdict. And I said, I think the verdict is computers are feminine because they forget nothing. Every time you press a key... It, it is internalized in the computer for all of eternity. If not in the software and the hardware, if not in the hardware and the hard drive, not in the hard drive and the chip, it's there. And one day it will come out and far-virus you. Every move you make, every breath you take is enshrined for all of eternity in the psyche of your spouse. And one day you might hear about it. It could take 20 years, but you're going to hear about it. You know the story, this woman who was dating and after like 10 days she comes home and her mother says, no, 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 no. She says, you know, everything is works on paper but there's one major issue. This guy, this boy, he mamish, doesn't believe in hell. He doesn't believe in Gehenom. He doesn't believe that there's such a thing as hell. I think I have to break it off. She says, no, 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 no. You... You accept the proposal. Between me and you, we will show him it exists. (laughs) So my friends, I come back to the question, is it Tov or is it Naim? How does God introduce marriage the first time? Anybody remembers? In Genesis Bereshit, Law. Tov heyot haadam levado. It's not good for man to be alone. It's good for a man to have a spouse. Is it pleasant? <laughs> ah, that's another question. So King David says he named matov umanayim How do we make spinach not only good but delicious? Delicious. You know, there was a Jewish couple celebrating their 50th anniversary. And she gets up, she says, I want to make a lechayim to me for sticking it out with him for 50 years. <laughs> and I say to you that the 50 years of our marriage went by like two days. People were, wow, oh my God. A Jewish couple after 50 years, not only are they on speaking terms, but apparently the marriage was so romantic and heavenly, just flew by like two days. There was one nudnik in the crowd. Every crowd I traveled the world, every audience I ever spoke to, except this one, always has a nudnik. You know the definition of a nudnik? It's more of an Ashkenazi thing. My grandmother would say there are three types of Jews, shlemils, shlemazils, and nudniks. The difference is as follows. The shlemiel pours the soup on the shlemazil. The nudnik wants to know what type of soup was it. <laughs> So at this wedding anniversary, (laughs) I just got it, it's pretty funny. (laughs) At this wedding anniversary, 50 years, a nudnik gets up and says, Excuse me, ma'am, why do you say that the marriage 50 years went by like two days? Why don't you say it went by like one day? I told you he was a real nudnik. She looks at him and says, Because our relationship for 50 years felt like two days. Tishabov and Yom Kippur.
0: <laughs> the two
1: toughest days in the Jewish calendar, my friends. How do we turn that which is Tov into that which is Naim? Shevet <laughs> Achim Gam Yachat. Achim in Hebrew and Torah doesn't only mean brothers, it also means friends. Abraham tells Lot, Ki Anashim Achim Anachno. They weren't brothers, he was his nephew. But achim represents all forms of camaraderie, from the word ichui, ichui, connection. Ichui alexandri and merlech ha achotiat, the verse in Proverbs, tell wisdom, you are my sister. Connection. How does it become both tov and ayim? Or to put it in the title that was allotted to me in tonight's lecture, how do you get to like the people you love? There are a lot of people we love, but we don't like them. There are people you like, and you don't love. There are people you like, and you love. And then there are people you don't like, you don't love. Usually your husband. I mean, uh, usually uh, a stranger. How do we learn to like the people we love? Most people, or at least many people, love their parents love their siblings, love their spouses. But it's not always easy to like. How do I like those I love? So, my dear friends, let's go on a little journey this evening. And I'm going to begin with a story that everybody heard. It's from Talmud, tractate, Yevamot, page 62b, Samachbet. Where the Talmud says, and it's quoted in almost every speech during this time of the year between Pesach and Truas, to the point that when most people hear this story, they shut down emotionally and they eat. <laughs> and the Talmud says that the students of Rabbi Akiva passed on during the times of Sephirah, during the era of the season of Sefirah, which is why it's a time of mourning in the Jewish calendar. And the reason is, they behave disrespectfully toward each other. And the famous old question is, how can this be? Rabbi Akiva is the greatest proponent of love in the Talmud. Every Jewish child knows what Rabbi Akiva said on the verse, read yesterday in every shul at least outside of the Holy Land, and in the Holy Land a week before, Zeklal, no, actually, Kedoshim, read everywhere, Love your fellow like yourself, Rebekah Kiva said, Zeklal Gadol Torah. Loving another person is not some small mitzvah, it's one of the cardinal principles of Torah. If he taught this to the whole Jewish world, for sure, he taught this to his students. So how is it that his students could so not get one of the great teachings and messages of Rabbi Akiva. What happened? Where did, the, where did they go wrong? Where did the teacher go wrong? Where did the students go wrong? And tonight I share with you one interpretation. It's based on a little brief commentary of a Hasidic author known as the Shem Mishmuel. That is a commentary on Chumash and on holidays written by a man named Rabbi Shmuel Bornstein, known as the Rebbe of Sochat in Poland, a son of the Avni Nezer, Rebbe of born and in his book, Shemishmuel, on Sephira, he gives an insight. And the nucleus of the insight is what allowed us to develop this point that we're going to, Bezer Hashem, bring out tonight. And he says that there are two different concepts in life and in Judaism, and they have different names. One is called Ahava. And the other is kavod. Ahava means love. Kavod means respect. Now the two, of course, are very closely related. You respect somebody, you have positive feelings towards them. You love somebody, you would respect them. If I love you, I should respect you. True. But nonetheless, they represent two different concepts, and sometimes opposite concepts. Love comes from likeness. We're so similar, we're so connected. Kavod comes from distance, from recognizing our differences. The word ahava is the numerical value of 13. Aleph, hey, vase, hey, is 5 and 5 and 2 and 1 is 13, which is the same numerical value as the word echad, 1. Ahava comes from the recognition that we're one. A mother loves her child because they're one. A parent loves, father loves his child, bra ben. The child, a child, is part of a father, part of a mother. Physically and thus emotionally, biologically, psychologically, of course, and spiritually. I love my siblings. We're ultimately one. We come from the same womb, we share the same genes. A child loves parents, a parent loves children. Families sometimes could fight very heavily. But there's a certain Ahava that is natural, it's innate, it's intrinsic, because we share so much in common. Especially for those of you who are lucky to come from the glorious Bukharian community where family was so, so important. Something that many Americans often forget. Which is something even those of us who come to this country and you want to fully integrate, don't lose glorious traditions that have allowed families and communities to survive for thousands of years, families keeping close together, because not you can't easily find a replacement for family. The echad, there's a oneness, this ahava. There's something else called kavod, respect. Respect represents the fact that there's something in you that I see that I actually don't have. And I respect it. It's a quality in you that is different than me. Maybe it's respecting a rabbi, a teacher, a sage, a rabbi, a rebbetzin, an elder person, a great person, a tzaddik. But all forms of respect even among friends and colleagues and spouses, represents the idea that there's something in you that I have respect for. I don't own it. In fact, it comes from the recognition that there's a distance. There are borders. There are boundaries. What is the difference between Ava and Kavod when it comes to relationships? When I love you, it's because I feel that you're one with me. I respect you, because I feel that you're actually not one with me, and I cherish the differences. Sometimes it's easy to love, but it's harder to like. A person, every healthy mother and father love their children, but we don't always respect our children. You love your parents, you don't always respect. You love your siblings, you don't always respect them. You may love your spouse, you're one, but you don't always respect I love my child, I want the best for my child, because my child is me. But can I recognize that my child is also not me? My child is not me, my child is me, but he's also not me, she's also not me. Sometimes parents choose the shidduch, the marriage partner for their children, based on what they need, not based on what their children need. <laughs> That's why Abraham didn't choose himself a Shidduch for Yitzchak. Because he knew he's going to choose a woman like Sarah. Sarah was a strong, tough woman, Gvura. And Yitzchak did not need that. Avraham needed that. Because Avraham was Chesed. He needed Sarah. Yitzchak was Gvura. He needed Rivka. He didn't go himself to choose a marriage partner. He sent. Somebody who grew up with Yitzchak, somebody who was objective, somebody who was outside of the family, Eliezer, he sent him to find a match for Yitzchak. He understood he can't only love Yitzchak, he has to respect Yitzchak. I can't only love my child. When I only love my child, I treat my child like he's still in the womb, which many Jewish mothers do. Even when he's 40 years old, she looks at him, and she still sees him as in the womb. He thinks he left, but we know the truth. In his own imagination he's independent, but we know the truth. He's just part of me, and therefore I make decisions for him, and I'm overprotective. Some of us even have the glorious title of being codependent. You can ask your therapist what that means. You know the story of the little boy who goes the first day to pre-1A to school, Little, little kid, and his mother kisses him as she puts him on the bus. She says, My malach, my angel, my tzaddik, my ziskite, my sweetheart, my heaven, my angel, my soul, my neshama, my heart, my love, and my love. Mommy's gonna be here right when you come back three o'clock. And I'm gonna give you a big kiss, my dear angel, Saint tzaddik. Sends him off to school, he comes home. She kisses him and says, my Malachal, what did you learn today? He says, for starters, I learned that I have a name, David. (laughs) In marriage, we sometimes love our spouse. But can we like our spouse? I could love my spouse because ultimately you're one. You built a family together. You have children together. Where are you going to go? You're going to move to New Zealand?
0: <laughs>
1: there are some men who do that. But let's face it. A month later, they regret it. What do they leave behind? They leave behind a family, a unit, a future, children, grandchildren. Of course, you could run away when you don't get along. Big deal. We know that. A Jew once came to our roof screaming in Yiddish, Ich will get! ich will get." I want a divorce. He says, yeah, ver Who doesn't? you and Christopher Columbus discovered America the only marriages I know that are perfect are the marriages I don't know okay besides you I know if you have a perfect marriage you can get out now the only relationships I know are perfect the only families I know are perfect are the families I don't know There are skeletons in every closet. We're human. We have brokenness. It's part of the human condition. A person could run, but a person looks and says, this is my wife, this is my husband, we're one. We love each other, we may even die for each other, but that's not what I'm addressing. But do you know how to like your husband? Can you learn how to like your wife? Not only love, but also like. Sometimes like is harder, because like comes... From respecting the fact that you are not me. And that you are entitled to your own personality, your own character, your own disposition, your own idiosyncrasies, your own demeanor, and your own needs. As the Kotzke Rebbe once said in Yiddish, and then I'll translate Oib ich bin ich, wal du bist du, und du bist du, weil ich bin ich, bin ich nicht ich, und du bist nicht du. Oib ich bin ich, weil ich bin ich, und du bist du, wal du bist du, bin ich ich, und du bist du. Anybody knows Yiddish? i I'll translate.
0: I'll
1: translate. Hey, 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 it's not recess yet. It's not recess. I'll tell you when you're dismissed. Class is not over. (laughs) Here goes. If I am I because you are you, and you are you because I am I, then I am not I and you are not you. But if I am I because I am I and you are you because you are you, then I am I and you are you. And now we can begin to schmooze. The basis of a relationship is not only that we're one, it's also that we're different, and we're supposed to be different. One of the key paradigms necessary for a functional and loving relationship is to recognize, this is just make it harder, is to recognize that truth in a marriage is not objective, it's subjective. My wife's truth is not my truth, my truth is not my wife's truth. If you can't respect subjective truth in a marriage, there may be love, but there will not be respect. Meaning, individuality will not be able to be respected. There's a famous psychoanalyst who lives in San Francisco. His name is Shaul Yalom. He's an Israeli Jew living in California for many years, and he has many books on psychology. And in one of them, he tells a story that captures this truth. He says, a woman once came to him and shared with him that she had a very difficult relationship with her father. They didn't get along. Her father was petty and demanding and he was always upset. Nothing was ever good enough. A chronic complainer. You know the person? Whatever you do will find a fault. Anybody ever lived with such a person? You don't have to all raise your hand. But if you did... It's difficult. Oh, and you're never good enough. But always bucked, bucked, bucked. You got 100, why not 110? (laughs) You know the story, kid came home with a report card the other day. And uh, so he got A minus and B on this and C and this. And then dancing, he got an A plus. And when the father saw that, he gave him a smack. He says, why are you smacking me, dancing at... He said, you fail in everything else and you still have the mood to dance. (laughs) So she grew up with such a father. And they weren't on speaking terms, sadly. It's very sad when parents and children are not on speaking terms. It doesn't make sense. It's one of the great tragedies when parents and children are not close. Certainly when they're in a fight. It doesn't make sense. Never allow it to happen in your family. Siblings, parents, you always have to talk to your siblings and your parents. You have to have a connection, even if you scream at each other and you fight. And so she was getting married, and the weekend before her wedding, she calls her father and says, Daddy, we haven't spoken for a long time. Let's go on a road trip. The weekend before my wedding, just to bond." And he was so excited, he says, sure. And they meet up, and they go on this road trip that's supposed to last a day or two a few days before her wedding and they're traveling on a road near San Francisco, and it's a beautiful weather, and she's driving, and her father's sitting on the other side, and it's the beginning of the trip, and they're schmoozing, you know, it's a little awkward, and she wants to make conversation, and she's this lively, vibrant girl, and she opens her window, and she looks out, and she says, Daddy, wow, isn't this landscape so beautiful? And he says, let me look. And he looks out his window and he says, actually, it's so ugly. It's horrible. I don't even know how you could think this way. And she thinks, wow. Here he goes again. God forbid he should agree with me. It's before my wedding. Why should he agree with me? God forbid he should say, it's so beautiful. I said, it's beautiful. He has to say, it's grotesque. It's repulsive. It's abominable. And she shut down. You know when you pick up your hands and you're like... Oh, you know that one? The women are nodding. Yeah. The men are like, what? Oh, I thought it's exercise. She does it every night. I thought it's exercise. <laughs> it's not exercise. It's your wife giving up on you, moron. She goes like this. It's not ex. He thinks it's Pilates. Because <laughs> for him, this is exercise. <laughs> okay. Scheisse. She gets so upset, and that's it. She's like, Daddy, it's all right. And that's it. The trip is over. She gets married. And they never come back together. 30 years pass. She's a married woman, and she's taking a road trip with her husband. And suddenly, she looks out, and she's on the road where she once drove with her father 30 years ago before her wedding. As Yogi Ber of Hashalom said, it's deja, deja vu all over again. That's a Bukharian joke. And uh, this time, she's in the passenger seat. He's in the driver's seat. And he's looking out as he's driving on this highway. And he turns to his wife and he says, wow, what a beautiful landscape. And she opens her window and looks out and she sees a cesspool and she remembers you know what a cesspool is? Uh, a sewer system <laughs> not a very nice not very beautiful Not. It's when you go to the pipes under the house it's what pcholant looks like <laughs>
0: After the Ashkenazim
1: digested?
0: <laughs>
1: sure. Who's my mother-in-law? Who us? Is this a conspiracy? I can continue. Okay, Baruch well, Hashem. Really? How many people? Tell my mother. <laughs> okay great I don't think I need therapy this week that's wonderful just tell me the exact amount of people and if there are any compliments please do me a favor okay? criticism you can keep for yourself she remembers this is where her father sat and she realized he wasn't trying to be argumentative he was actually describing what he sees From his window, from her husband's window, there was a different landscape. And she comes to Professor Yalom with this tremendous guilt of misunderstanding her father, creating a lifelong separation. And I ask you, how often does this happen in marriage? Can you really appreciate the fact that you and your husband or your wife look out of two Different windows. And she will never see what you see. And you will never see exactly what she sees. What you need to do is respect that her window may be a different window. Respect. And learn that not every disagreement is argumentative. It's not about denigrating you. She has to disagree with me. You know that feeling? He has to disagree with me. She has two windows. And then you learn that a disagreement is actually an opportunity to broaden your perspective. Now, it's easy to preach about this. When it comes to emotions, you lose it. Here you go again. Either you explode... Or you implode, especially if you suffer from emotional constipation.
0: (laughs) Which is a good
1: old Jewish trait, especially if you come from Eastern Europe, especially from certain sections of Eastern Europe. We Jews don't like talking, especially men. We have a theory. When you come home at night, your wife looks at you and says, how was your day? We don't like answering that question. Our philosophy is... It was hard enough experiencing the day. Now I have to talk about it? (laughs) I don't want to talk about it. I want to go into a cave, take out my phone, and text. Read the paper, surf the web, drink a twig of beer, read something. I don't want to talk about my day. Women have a very different window. When they have a hard day, they want to talk about it, but not once. (laughs) Once is just the preliminary. (laughs) Once to their sister, a second time to the other sister, third time to a third sister, fourth time to their mother, fifth time to their girlfriend, sixth time to another girlfriend, seventh time to the therapist, eighth time to the yoga instructor, ninth time to the friend they meet at the cafe, tenth time maybe their husband when they finish giggling and crying. After ten times they're ready to relax. (laughs) Just the way it is. In fact, in fact, somebody asked me what's the difference between men and women kabbalistically. I said men are waffles, women are spaghetti. Very deep kabbalah. Do you ever eat a waffle? Waffles, every waffle is self-contained. It has four walls around it. When you pour the maple syrup into the waffle, you make sure it doesn't go over the wall and stays within the square of the waffle. That's men. Women are spaghetti. There's no one piece of spaghetti. Every strand of pasta is intertwined and interconnected with hundreds of other pieces of pasta. Our brain is compartmentalized in hundreds of filing cabinets. We men have a filing cabinet called the car, the house, the wife, the mother-in-law, the children, the job. The therapist, everything has a separate filing cabinet. And when we have to pay a bill, we open up that filing cabinet, we make sure it doesn't touch any other file, we take out the paper, usually we don't do anything, we put it back quietly, we close the drawer, and we make sure nothing else gets disturbed. And in the middle of our brain, we have a huge filing cabinet, the biggest one with a big sign, and it says on it, nothing. And we love hanging out in that space. In fact, most of us men, if we wouldn't have to make a living, we would hang out in that filing cabinet called nothing. So when you ask your husband, what are you feeling? And he looks at you and he says, nothing. And there's no answer that drives women as crazy. As the answer, nothing. They can't believe it. They think you have another relationship with somebody else. They think you are hiding everything. No women, we feel nothing. In fact, after this lecture, you're going to ask your husband, so how was it? And he's going to look at you, how was what? The lecture, he was talking about you! Oh, here she goes, he doesn't know me. How was it? Oh, his jokes were not too bad. Most of them I knew. By a woman, there's no nothing. Her brain is like the World Wide Web. Microsoft Windows with every possible window open. And the tab is switching back and forth every moment like spaghetti. And the traffic of the World Wide Web, there are hundreds of millions of neurons consciously interacting at every single moment. And he's like clueless. <laughs> Which is why you'll see the following scene. He comes on one night, and he decides tonight he's going to be a good husband. So after dinner, you sit down with him on the couch, and he looks you in the eyes and he says, Honey, do you want to share with me how your day was? <laughs> You're like, wow, what a guy. He's been listening to Rabbi YY's lectures. He's been working on himself. Ah, Emmet has been getting to him. He's working, he's working on his Shalom Bayit. It's so beautiful. So you start sharing with him your day. And of course you begin with the fact that the cleaner's ruined a $600 dress. And he opens up the filing cabinet called Cleaner's. And it's a, it's, a, it's a hard process for him. You could see on his brain. He said, take it out and take out the file and check off, okay, the cleaner's crisis,
0: $600.
1: From the cleaners, you shift immediately to the fact that you don't like your job. So now he opens up the filing cabinet called a job. And then you move on to the fact that your sister-in-law insulted you at her son's bar mitzvah. And then the fact that at the brachas you weren't invited. And then that his mother is really obnoxious to you. From there you discuss the fact that you don't have good cleaning help. And then of course you go to the kids. He's not happy in third grade. The principal is not nice. This teacher doesn't know what he's doing. Then you go to the car. Then you go to the paper you have to finish. You discuss the leak in the bathroom. Summer plans. Your own mother. Your own sister. The upcoming bas mitzvah. It's now two minutes and 10 seconds. You have already explored 48 topics. And this is what he's doing. He's opening and closing filing cabinets. He went from the cleaners to the bathroom, to the cleaning lady, to your mother, to your sister-in-law, to the bar mitzvah, to the bas mitzvah, to the chuppah, to your job, to your paper, to your car, to the swimming pool, to the summer, to the camp, to the crisis in school. It's four minutes now, 397 topics have been explored and you're just beginning. This poor guy for the last four minutes has been opening and closing filing cabinets and remember, nothing can touch anything else. So he takes it out, it's a very, very heavy game. Now after four minutes, as you're about to begin topic 400, he is about to go crazy. The logical choice for him at this moment, the most logical thing is suicide. There's a problem. He loves you. And he doesn't want you to be a widow. So that's not an option. So he does the second to the best option under these trying circumstances, and that is he falls asleep. And within 20 seconds, within 20 seconds, he's snoring on the top of his lungs. And you're stone faced. You were just having this whole romantic experience and this guy just fell asleep on you. You are so hurt. Little do you know that the snoring is an expression of his deepest love. Because the only other option was to him for him to shoot himself in his head. And the only reason he didn't is because he loves you so much. So if you could look at the snoring and say what a special man (laughs) the love of my life my dearest partner Ah, you're good love my friends is not respect love comes from recognizing that we're one respect comes from the fact that we recognize that we're not one we can't always be one We will not have the same window. For some things we will, for some things we won't. What we need is not to have the same window. What we need is to trust that the fact that the other person has another window doesn't mean they don't care for us, and they don't support us, and they don't cherish us. If I could look at your differences, and you could look at my differences, and I could say, I am I, and you are you. And from this place, we're going to respect each other and support each other. What happens often is disagreements become proof that you don't like me. You're not here for me. And that's where a relationship breaks down. I stop giving you the benefit of the doubt. I don't trust the relationship. And when there's no trust, when you don't really feel that your spouse has your back and your spouse cares for you, The trust erodes, but that doesn't mean we're going to have the same window. Which is why, when the Torah wants to describe Yitzchak's relationship with his wife Rivka, the Torah says, Yitzchak was laughing with Rivka. Why is that the term for intimacy? I make jokes because my name is Yitzchak. Why, why is Yosef Yitzchak? Besides, when I was born, they said, why, why? (laughs) And I'm trying to justify that and to answer the question. Yitzchak comes from the word laughter. Why would anybody name their child Yitzchak, which means a joke? (laughs) What would your therapist say? When you told him that your mother named you a joke. It's great for self-confidence, no? And you know, this is the first boy born as a Jew. The first boy born as a Jew is called a joke. This is where we get our insecurities from, I'm telling you. We have this in our genes. I'm a joke. I'm a joke. Guy told me, just because I'm paranoid, it doesn't mean the whole world is not out to get me. My dear friends, what makes people laugh? If Anybody knows? What makes people laugh? The answer is an unexpected punchline. That's why somebody told me when I started to speak, he said, a joke you can only repeat once a year. Because if you repeat the same joke and people remember it, they're not going to laugh. He told me a joke once a year, a story once in two years. A twice in the same sermon. (laughs) That joke is over. (laughs) It's always the unexpected punchline. A good comedian will take you to unexpected places. And when you think you got it, he'll suddenly make a curve. And he'll throw you a curveball, which will create compounded laughter. All laughter comes from... The unexpected, the unusual. A good sense of humor means you know how to look at things in a twisted, unique, unconventional way. Somehow you bring out the humor of every situation. Yitzchak's greatest skill, and the greatest skill of the Jewish people, is they know how to create chokes. Meaning, they can do the Unexpected. What is expected? It's expected that humans are selfish. That's expected. It's called survival of the fittest. It's expected that if you're married to a spouse, you fight. In America, 50% divorces. You know why? Why not? (laughs) If I'd be married to your husband, what would I do? (laughs) You get divorced. Sometimes you get along, sometimes you don't. 50% yeah, 50% not. The uniqueness of the Jew is, he or she understands the purpose of life is to create an unexpected punchline. Not to follow the expected, to follow the unexpected. To surprise yourself, to shock yourself, to allow your soul to surprise your mind. Which means... All of us will have emotions that will take us away from our spouse. Yitzchak's power was Mitzachek. He was different than Rivka. They weren't the same. They were opposites. She was extroverted. He was introverted. They had opposite windows. She loved Yaakov. He loved Esav. They disagreed about so many things, but they never stopped laughing. And when you never stop laughing, you can surprise yourself. You could surprise yourself by saying, We're different. What do you do with being different? You could do one of two things. You can start killing each other, or you could start laughing with each other. And that makes the difference between a beautiful marriage and a very challenging marriage. So now, my friends, come back to the students of Rabbi Akiva. Rabbi Akiva taught that the basis of Judaism is. Love your fellow like yourself. Love. His students, They had a challenge with respect. They loved each other so much, they couldn't appreciate the fact that they're different, and they have to respect each other. We see it with the Jewish people constantly. We love each other, but we don't always respect each other. I was once at a conference about anti-Semitism and they asked me at the conference, a Jew raises his hands. Rabbi Jacobson, what's the difference between Jews and anti-Semites? I said, what do you mean? He says, they both don't like Jews.
0: <laughs>
1: Anti-Semites don't like Jews and Jews don't like Jews. What's the difference? Good question, no? So I said, ah, my dear friends, I'll explain to you, it's very deep. The anti-Semite, we're talking about a civil anti-Semite, right? They say that Churchill said an anti-Semite is somebody who hates Jews more than necessary. But let's say somebody who doesn't hate them more than necessary, only as much as necessary. A civil anti-Semite, the normal one. Go have a conversation with him, as I have, and say, Ah, my dear anti-Semite, my civil anti-Semite, what do you think about the Jewish people? They cause so many problems. ISIS is Israel's fault. 9-11, Israel's fault. The oil spill in the Gulf of Mexico, Israel's fault. Global warming, Israel's fault. The problems in Gaza, in Egypt, in Syria, in Iran, in Pakistan, in India, in Afghanistan, in Sudan, in the Congo, Israel's fault. Of course. The Jews, the Jews. But my dear anti-Semite... Your cardiologist is Harry Goldberg. He's a Jew. Hey, he's different. The best cardiologist in America. But your accountant is Mr. Klein. He's an honest Jew. But your neurologist is Finkelstein. Most brilliant neurologist in the world. But your lawyer is Schwartz. (laughs) <laughs> He's been with, I've been with him for 50 years. You're barbers, Mr. Heber. <laughs> the best conversationalist in the world. Some of my best friends are Jewish. What do you think of the Jewish people? Vermin. Horrible nation. Horrible people. These individual Jews, are oh, they're very special. Now come to any Jew in the world. Hello, Shalom Aleichem, Aleichem Shalom. What's your opinion of the Jewish people? Ah Yisrael goechad ba'aretz. Who is like your nation, Israel? I love the Jewish people. Ani Wow! Now tell me, what's your opinion on your neighbor? I'm <laughs> <laughs> What's your opinion on your other neighbor? A lowlife despicable. What about your brother-in-law? <laughs> Don't get me to talk about it. He'll end up in prison. What about the gaba in your shul? Despicable! What about the guy who sits near you in show? I wouldn't trust him with a quarter. This guy is a ganev, a shakin, a a lowlife, a shtick, maneuver, a shukets a sheretz, a pera odom. You can ask your grandmother. She'll explain to you what they're doing. <laughs> If you don't know the meaning of all the words, Nishgafalach, you could still be Jewish. Something missing, but you could still be Jewish. <laughs> then you'll come to him and say, what do you think about the Jewish people? He'll start crying and he says, ay, 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 I love Jews. So I said, that's the difference between anti-Semites and Jews. Anti-Semites hate Kalal Yisrael. But the Reb Yisrael, they like Jews love Klal Yisrael. Which Jew doesn't love Klal Yisrael? Every speech of any Rabbi or any Jew, I always hear Klal Yisrael. But when it comes to Reb Yisrael, when it comes to the guy near me, oh, it's not so simple. But my dear friends, Klal Yisrael is made up of Reb Yisraels. It's easy to love the Klal, the oneness. It's about the individual. Rabbi Akiva's student loved, his students loved respect to something else. Respect comes not from oneness, not from sameness, from the appreciation of differences. And that's why when we count the Omer, the Talmud says in Menachah 66: Amorabaya, Mitzvah Lemimni Yoimi, or um, Mitzvah Lemimni Shavui. It's a mitzvah to count days, and it's a mitzvah to count weeks. We say today is seven days, which is one week. Today is eight days, which is one week and one day. Do, are people so illiterate? You can't figure out that eight days is one week and one day. Fourteen days, which is two weeks. Thank you, genius.
0: <laughs>
1: what's the meaning? The answer is, what's the you mean? a day and a week? A week is a unit of time. Sunday through Shabbos, seven branches of the menorah, seven midot of the soul, it's one unit. A day is individual. There are two separate counts. There's the count of the weeks of oneness, but there's the count of the individual, which is separate. When Mashiach comes, it says, Kahal gadol yashuvu We will go as one. And it also says, We will echad as one. Each one will be gathered as an individual. My dear friends, the leader of the Boston Philharmonic Orchestra is a Jewish fellow, a Brit, by the name of Benjamin Benjamin Zander. And he once shared the following story he heard from a Jewish woman. And she said to him, she said, Benjamin, I want to tell you about something I experienced. I was 15 years old. And my little brother was 8 years old. And we were both placed on a cattle car, taken to Auschwitz, Birkenau, during the Second World War. Our parents were sent elsewhere. They were gone. It was me and my baby brother on the train. And on the train I looked at my brother and I saw that he was missing a shoe. From the whole commotion and being chased onto the train, he lost one of his shoes. He was barefoot. What does a 15-year-old girl tell an eight-year-old boy when he loses his shoe, she doesn't know where they're going. She starts screaming at him. She yells at him. How could you be such a baby? How could you be so irresponsible? How could you lose your shoe? Where am I supposed to find you a shoe? What are you going to do now? We're going to get somewhere? You're not going to have shoes. I don't understand you. Mommy is not here. Tati is not here. Nobody has another shoe for you. How could you be so irresponsible? Grow up and take responsibility. You don't lose a shoe. And she gave it to her like a 15-year-old, nervous, anxious girl, might speak to her baby brother. And she tells Benjamin, ooh, did I regret that conversation, because it was the last conversation I ever had with my brother. We arrived in Auschwitz, and Joseph Mengele made the selection. One of them was sent to the right and the other to the left. Within an hour, her brother was gassed and his body sent to the crematorium. She was sent to slave labor and she survived the war. On the day of liberation, January 1945, January 27, 1945, when the Soviets liberated the Auschwitz-Birkenau death camp, this little girl, this young woman, left the portals of hell and as she walked out of those gates, some of you have seen it with the big sign, Arbet Macht frei. She says to Benjamin, at that moment, I stepped in from death to life. And I made a vow to myself that despite all the suffering I endured, I'm going to live. And I'm going to live life to the fullest. And then I made a second vow to myself. And the second vow I made to myself was this. Never will I tell somebody something that if I knew it was the last thing I ever said to them, I would regret it. I would never say anything to anybody again that could not stand as the last thing I will ever tell them. Especially When it's a child. I say to you, this is something very lofty. It's a very high ideal. And it's a little unrealistic to ask of somebody to be able to think before they open my mouth, is this the last thing you want to tell the person? But it's something to think about. As we speak and communicate with our spouses as we speak and communicate with our children, ask yourself, is this something I would be happy telling them if this was the last time I ever spoke to them? And when one creates this type of awareness in a relationship, then the next 50 years of your marriage and the 50 years afterwards could also go by like 2 days purim and Simchas torah the two happiest days of the jewish calendar thank you very much thank
0: you, thank you. this class is brought to you by the yeshiva.net